right, Jen Cooper, the keeper here, ready for the next episode of the Mix Zone Women's Soccer Podcast, sponsored by Roughneck Scarves. This is episode number 280. With that number, we'll give a shout out to Adriana Franch, goalkeeper for the Portland Thorns, also for She Believes for the USA. She has 280 saves in her NWSL career, including both games for Portland and Western New York Flash, uh, where she played in the inaugural season in 2013. All right, this is a doubleheader sort of a podcast today. Uh, I did two discussions, two chats with my longtime Woso buddy, Dan Laletta of Equalizer Soccer. In the first segment, we talked about the recently released NWSL regular season schedule, and we get off on a lot of hopefully interesting tangents in that discussion. And then in the second chat, we talk about the new NWSL commissioner, finally named, uh, the new list of federation players for 2020, and the various implications of the not-yet-finalized Sauerbrunn trade. And in between the two chats is my new recurring segment called Gensplaining. This week, I review roster numbers once again, uh, this time uh, related to She Believes Cup, why certain players are wearing certain numbers. Got a question for the Gensplainer? Email it to me, keeper at keepernotes.com. And don't forget to follow me on Twitter at KeeperNotes and also at MixZone. And that's always two X's with for MixZone. All right, Jen Cooper, the keeper here with Dan Laletta from Equalizer Soccer for a double issue, double header, mega size chat with... Uh, you know, the two oldest um, farts in Woso nerddom. Is that a good title for us, Dan? Yeah, I think so. And I think double header sounds like there might be a schedule. Yeah, there's actually a schedule. Um, I like it. It finally happened. And now I'm in that place where it's like, wait, there's actually a schedule that I can plug into my calendar and start making travel plans. I mean, that's that's the crazy craziness that I get into as soon as the schedule drops is like, ooh, can I travel somewhere? Which games can I call? Which games conflict? Exactly. Games? Um, so have you booked any travel yet? Uh, only in my head, but I haven't <laughs> actually booked anything yet. The funny thing about the schedule, though, is the schedule, you know, we wait with anticipation and then you kind of figure out when's opening day, when is the final, when's closing day. But I also feel like once the schedule comes out, it's Kind of like, oh, yeah, there's a schedule. I mean, like you said, you plan out your travel, and, you know, we both live in or near markets that have teams, so you think about going to all those home games and whatnot. But, you know, I think the schedule comes out, and it's a little bit anticlimactic, but it's nice. It's just nice to be out because it's nice to just be able to pick a day and just look and see what's going on soccer-wise. Well, and, and yeah, open the app and there's a schedule. Open the website, there's a schedule. I'm in the middle of plugging in dates into the the Google calendar that I share on keepernotes.com, right? It's just um, just like, ah, like, like the gang's getting back together. Because, I mean, at, at some point, I, I hope that the NWSL season is longer so we don't have such an extended offseason, right? Yeah, well, we talk all the time about, you know, make the off season matter more. But yeah, the season, I guess, ultimately does have to be a little bit longer going forward. But let's, let's just be happy we have seasons now, eight of them <laughs> now coming up. And, and it looks like we're going to keep going with seasons 
Uh, but yeah, it's cool. It's nice to have a date dates to look forward to, home openers to look forward to, matchups to look forward to. And you know, I, I say it all the time. Uh, I you know I know a bunch of people who are, you know, casual fans or prospective fans, and they say, you know, let me see the schedule and I'll see if I can go to a game. And I could up until now haven't been able to get them one. And as someone with a family and a young child, you know, money dries up and weekends dry up for these things. I would say and the you, weekends probably dry up before the, the money dries up in most yeah, cases. For sure. for the, I, I agree, especially for, yeah, I think especially for people who would spend money on that regard, you know, one way or another. But yeah, I mean, you know, camp schedules, you know, my kids camp wants to know what weeks they're going, like in January. You know, you can change that, but people start planning these things way, way out in advance. And if there's no schedule, you know, I wrote about it in my lowdown that the Chicago Sky, the WNBA team, had a schedule out a month before the Chicago Red Stars, more than a month. And they play basically at the same time in the same city, and their season starts a month later. So if you're looking for a women's sporting sports team and you have two or three days to go to games and the Sky schedule is out and the Red Stars isn't, there's a pretty good chance you're buying Sky tickets and not waiting on the Red Stars. Yeah, all good things point. Being equal, all things being equal, of course. You know, if you're a diehard soccer fan, it's a different story, but you, you know, you need to be out in front of these things. Well, and then we even know that there's people that schedule, you know, their weddings around the the schedule if they can. I mean, I I think about McCall Zerboni back in 2016, the story of that she had to postpone her wedding when the Flash actually made the final, and and I'm assuming that they had planned the wedding before the schedule had come out, right? <laughs> and then like, uh, yeah, oh you well, would think so. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I don't want to date myself too much, but I planned my wedding around the New York power schedule. And I planned it around a season that never happened because that was the year that the league folded. So if you ever want to know why my wedding anniversary is when it is, it was as close <laughs> as we could get to being in decent weather without conflicting with what would have been the New York power schedule. Cause I never missed a home game. So, and I never did miss a home game. So I guess that's my legacy of the New York power, but yeah. yes, I planned a March wedding for a league that folded. See, we, we are, we are totally the, the old farts of, of woesiness. And, and I like that you brought up that, you know, we should still be happy that there are actually seasons because, you know, I know, you know, 30 years from now, we'll be like, look, look, it's the 37th season. <laughs> That's 12 times as long as the WSA lasted. <laughs> Yeah, well, I do get a little tired. You know, when, when I remember when we got to the fourth season, it was this big deal, the historic fourth yeah. season of the uh, NWSL. But, like, after that, you don't have to keep saying it over and over again, right? Like, right. you don't say, like, it's the NFL's 100 seasons. That's kind of a big deal. But it's not like, oh, it's 100 seasons and it's longer than any other leagues ever lasted. Like, let's just go on. This is year eight. You can make a big deal about year 10. It's tw year 25 now for yeah, MLS. Yeah. Yeah, starting this weekend, you know, but you don't have to go too crazy with that. But uh, though I know, do those like of us who have, we have scar tissue from those other leagues, though we do, and and I like where we are with NWSL that we're reaching um, a maturity. Though that's not really for the right word. We're reaching an age of the league that we didn't get to enjoy with the other ones, where rivalries have really had a chance to develop, right? And the the clubs that have had the same coach 
four, four, five, and like in Chicago's cases, seven years, you know, they have an identity, they have a long-term plan. We never got the opportunity to see the other two leagues get to that. And so that's why, like, now there's so much history just within this league, right, that we don't have to really refer to WSA or WPS very right. often and you anymore. See a team like the Washington Spirit, who started off and were a complete mess, got it figured out, hired Parsons, got to the playoffs a few times. Parsons moved on. Gabar came in. They made the final, came painfully close to winning. Then they dipped. Now they're kind of rising up again. So there are different eras now that you can go back to right. in the seven, now eight seasons of the Washington Spirit, which you really didn't have in those other two, especially WPS, because, you know, Marta would be on a team, they'd be great, they'd be in the final, and then they would go away. And then, you know, I mean, literally, she was on the sole final, they folded, she was on FC Gold Pride, they won it, they folded, I'm not blaming Marta for the folding, but, you know, where she went, winning followed. Yeah. Um, but there really wasn't any sort of continuity in that league at all. Right. Right. So now we have continuity, seven years worth of history. And I also feel like we're hitting the point where we're starting to see what I call natural retirements. You know, um, I agree. Er We've got a couple of young retirements in the last week or two, but I agree. Yeah. More of the retirements have been like, oh, that makes sense. Like Jen Hoy retired. And I've been kind of waiting for that for a while because she. Yeah. You know, probably didn't make a whole lot of money, was never really a regular starter except for maybe one year, you know, battled some injuries. Really nice story that she came back and contributed a bit last year for Sky Blue. But, what you know, it's not like, oh, what a shame that she's leaving this promising career ahead of her. Yeah, she could have stuck around two or three more years, but she also found, you know, a post-soccer career that she's already running with. So I think that's yeah, a really and, good and, point. and she got a seven-year professional career, and that's... Fourth round pick from the Ivy League. Yeah, that, that's impressive, you know, for, for most sports. You know, same with Erica Timrak, the 2013 Rookie of the Year. Yep. You know, Bianca Henniger, who was drafted in WPS in 2012, right before it folded. So really, her entire pro career is it was with, with NWSL as well. So, so with that, like, I, I think we're just at a really interesting point, um, you know, as the teams that have kind of solidified themselves, you, you know, in, in the top, like they're looking ahead to like, okay, when we have expansion, how do we hold on to, you know, what we've built? You've got everyone beneath them scrambling for like, like, Hey, if we can hold on to this season, expansion's coming and then we can grab this in the draft or, or how do we take advantage of, of, the, the push from 2019 women's world cup, you know, I just, I, I feel like there's a lot of um, coaching potential too, right? Like we still don't have as many women's head coaches as we'd like to have. Right. But we're seeing more and more women in the assistant coaching positions. And one of the things that um, James Clarkson from the dash said to me recently, uh, you know, he said, it's not going to be too long before, you won't be able to get a coaching gig in NWSL without having been a former player. And that really kind of woke me up because it, it made me think back, you know, now I've seen, I've seen 14 seasons of MLS in Houston that it's like, when we got a team, it was, it was MLS 1.0. Right. And, and it was one group of coaches, um, mostly with a lot of, 
people who had coached before the league existed or had been brought over from Europe. Now you look at the league, it's a lot of former players. And unless you have that, I once played for MLS or I once played X, you know, you have a harder time breaking in. So I feel like we're at the step right before that. And that makes similar, any sense. On a similar note, and I'm way off topic here, but I believe that... <laughs> similar note, but way off topic, okay. Well, we're getting further and further away from NWSL and women's yeah. soccer, but yeah. I do believe that we're starting very slowly now to get people in leadership positions in the media. And that's also kind of vague at this point because newspapers are going away. But you're getting people who are able to make these decisions where they don't know life without Major League Soccer. You know, I grew, yes. I remember the very tail end of the NASL and barely remember it. And then there was no soccer league. Yeah. And then all of a sudden MLS came along, but I was already, you know, older at that time. But you're getting people who are going to, you know, if you're 30 right now, you pretty much don't remember life before major league soccer. So you're no longer you're no longer a sports editor saying, well nobody cares about that league because all you remember is that league existing. So you're automatically right. going to have a little bit more loyalty to that. Now we're farther away from that on the women's side of course, but I do think that will be that's one of the next steps in turning soccer into uh you know, I think one of the LAFC owners said the other day at MLS Media Day that in 10 years or 20 years, I don't remember what it was that MLS will be the third most popular league in right. the uh, in the U.S. behind the NFL and the NBA. And I, if that happens, that's another part of the process. And eventually we'll get there with NWSL where nobody will remember, like, oh, I remember when the league first launched and all these weird things were happening. And it'll just be, hey, ever since I was a kid, there's been NWSL. Exactly. I mean, it blows my mind to think that 14 years ago when we had the first Dynamo season, there were 12 MLS teams, and now there's 26, and in two years there'll be 30, right? And, yeah, and well, we could have a whole separate podcast about how the MLS is growing too quickly, but we'll save that for another time. But it is amazing Ted. because it was, I mean, the you know, there was that brief period in January of 02 where Emma and Don Garber loves to tell the story that basically they had lawyers in to draft paperwork to fold the league, and they said, wait a minute, let's not you know, let's make all these investments. And from there, they've gotten to where they are now. But for that brief glimpse, women's pro soccer was actually on firmer footing than men's pro soccer. <laughs> that one moment. Awesome. Exactly. No. Well, and I know that, you know, like I don't like to keep men's soccer and women's soccer too separate, right? Because there is a path that MLS has taken that NWSL can learn a lot from, right? You know, um, and we have to thank um, or at least appreciate that MLS actually building soccer specific venues of a reasonable size, you know, was a great start to, to, you know, getting soccer um, more, more feasible in this country, right? Like you think of WSA and, and Washington freedom having to play an RFK stadium, right? Like they had the largest attendance in the league, but they couldn't afford the rent. You know. Well, on the NWSL teams, I mean, I would you can argue the NWSL wouldn't exist without the soccer-specific stadiums because right. you know Providence Park is not soccer-specific, but it was renovated for soccer. You know, the uh, the Dash play in their soccer stadium, the Red Bulls, uh, sorry, the Sky Blues moving into Red Bull Arena. Right. The Red Stars are they, those teams would not be able to exist because they would either be back at Benedictine and Yersac 
or like you said, they'd be playing in the monstrosities. So, yeah, I think the soccer-specific stadiums have allowed NWSL to exist in the way that it does today. Yeah, and uh, there's just there's so much of that growth as like soccer just overall, regardless of men's, women's, pro, amateur, whatever, that had to happen for NWSL to be able to happen, if that makes sense. And I also think when you have, you know, if you're trying to build women's soccer, and I think it's clear that women's soccer is lagging behind men's soccer, and we could probably do three hours on the reasons for that. But I think (laughs) as you're trying to build up women's soccer, you have to look and say, look, there's a professional men's league that is successful. Let's start at least by looking at what makes that league successful. That doesn't mean everything they do, you should do, but that should be your first line of looking at you know, what can we take out of that to make ourselves successful? And I reference the NFL a lot, probably more so than people are comfortable with, but that's the most popular league in the, on this continent right now in any sport. So you've got to at least start there and say, what things do they do that we can also do to make ourselves popular like them? And there are certainly things that the NFL does you don't want any part of if you're right. any other sports league. <laughs> But you, but there's no reason not to start there because they are the most. It is the most popular sports league in North America, if not the world. Well, and and a lot of people aren't aware that there are some really significant executives um, working in MLS or who have moved on from MLS who got their start in women's soccer, who are so Absolutely. successful doing what they were doing, um, like Amanda Vandervoort, you know was part of WPS. She's the one that got uh, WPS to be an early adopter of Twitter. And 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 I, I still have this screenshot saved of in 2010, the second season of WPS, and that was what, the 15th season of, of, of MLS? Um, yep. WPS had 200,000 followers on Twitter. MLS had 20,000. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And, and that's why Amanda went to MLS and built right. them into a social media giant. And also, right. by the way, used to edit the lowdown for me back in 2010. Aw, that's so cute. Yep. <laughs> but there's there's a lot of people like that. I, I also think I can't remember her name, but there was a sales rep at the Boston Breakers who did so well that she just kept moving up and moving up and um you know, got hired by the LA Galaxy. I'm not sure if she's still there. Or I think if Sarah Kate Knopfsinger, uh, you know, played for Washington Freedom WSA, she ran the ECNL, but is now like director of fan engagement for Atlanta United. Yeah. And that, you know, you know, that goes to another point I bring up all the time is that, especially when we talk about the refereeing issue and, and even the coaching issue to some extent, we're not yet at a place where the NWSL is the ultimate like it is for the players because the players are divided men and women but if you're an executive if you're a referee it's not even that you prefer the men's game over the women's game but there's more money in the men's game right you're going to be always driven to go to the place where you can further your career and somehow nwsl needs to get to a place where that can be somebody's goal to get to that job, not just to support the women's game, but because you can actually make a really good living as an executive, as a referee, as a coach, et cetera. Yeah. And that there has to be that recognition that it's like, it's the best women's players in the world in this league. You know, when you look at the parity of the league that, you know, the, the competitive, 
nature. I mean, th- that every game is competitive, right? You know, it's it's not like France where you're going to have some seven zero wins. You know, um, and we need to see the acknowledgement, um, especially this far into the league's history, that no, you need the best possible referees. But like we always say, that could be a whole another chat by itself. But let's let's wrap up a little bit uh, on the schedule, and then we'll take a break and talk about um, national team news. But highlights for you on on this schedule uh, on the 2020 NWSL schedule. Oh, highlights. You know, I'm more of a low-light guy than a highlight Okay, well, guy. you have to give me one highlight before you get to your lowlights. One highlight before I get to my lowlight. Wow. Um, I like the opening weekend matchups. I think that they're all interesting in their own way. And I like the fact that at least on opening weekend, there's no matches that are up against each other. Um, you know, I don't, you know, I understand why games go head-to-head because, you got to go local first before you can expand out and worry about that sort of thing. Uh, but that first Saturday should be good. I like the fact that there are no games on Mother's Day because that has proven to be a day where people do not attend NWSL games. I saw um, your comment about that on Equalizer. and it, You're going to go pull me, some attendance yes. number out on me? Yes, it, it, it made me want to go pull out numbers. I have not pulled out numbers. But I thought I thought that was an interesting interesting take and I, i'm I definitely think they could make definitely it into interested. a big day yeah i, I want to hear what, what people think about that i just remember when i was um running an adult women's and co-ed league and the requests we would get of having no games on mother's day and it, it's like hey we only have x number of weekends to play this schedule and, and you know maybe i'm not a good enough daughter but i'm like why can't you play the 9 a.m game and then go spend the rest of the day with your mom but, exactly yeah. exactly <laughs> I just, you know, I just think certain days people are not attending soccer games. It doesn't mean they couldn't build it up because what I, because one thing I want this league to do is pick a day and own the day, right? Yes. So it can be like July third, hey, the night before July fourth, when everybody's off, we're gonna even if you have the same two or three teams or four teams every year, see if they can get some rights to get, do some fireworks or whatever, and make that a day where you know every single year. There's going right like you go to Thanksgiving dinner. What are you thinking about? Yeah, you're thinking NFL. Thinking NFL. So every time the schedule comes out, who are the Cowboys playing on Thanksgiving? Who are the Lions playing on Thanksgiving? MLS, Galaxy, and Rapids have done wonderfully with their July Fourth stuff. Just pick a day, you know, whether you make it your own day or it's the day before Fourth of July or the first weekend in August or something, and just pound it home for everybody. That well, hasn't and, and, happened yet. I know World Cup yeah. and Olympic makes it hard challenge in some ways. Well, and that's why, like, when the schedule came out, like, I, I almost wanted it to have some specific weekends. Like, here is, uh, I, I can never say this right, rivalry week. It just sounds so yeah, weird to I, say. I don't, I don't um, like that. But, but, but some, something like that or um, – some so whatever the hook is, not that hook, but just a, a couple of hooks okay. like that. That not here's that hook. I don't like yeah. that hook. Yeah, that, that here's the big, you know, that that Budweiser picks a couple of weekends, you know, and then maybe Secret Deodorant picks a weekend, you know, or or I mean, how revolutionary would this be? The league tells us now when the U.S. national team players will leave for the Olympics. So the weekend before that is the big blowout. You know, wish your U.S. national teamers good luck, right? You know, right, and then you can like actually that. sell that game now. I think the league doesn't want to do that because they don't want to 
they don't want to kill sales for tickets for games where the national team players won't be there, which is understandable and deceptive all at the same time. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, so give me some more of your low lights and, and then we'll take a break. Well, not so much low light. I mean, you know, some of it is unavoidable, but the first midweek game is Thorns and Courage. That's a game that you kind of want to showcase. Uh, and then I think the second Thorns Courage game is the weekend before the gold medal game for the Olympics. So really, you're only going to get one like weekend Thorns Courage game. Um, you know, the two week break in between the finale and the playoffs. Again, I understand FIFA window television. But everybody's got to have a bye. So if Orlando gets in the playoffs, they will have a 29-day gap between their right. last regular season game. That's pretty Summer. brutal. I like, I like that it's Orlando because they finished at the bottom. So they are the if team you have that to pick have one, that's the one you pick. Right? Because if you're Mark Skinner, you know what your answer should be to that. We would we will we would love to have to deal with that problem exactly. when the time comes. Exactly. Um, and that's not to say that any other team wouldn't also love it. But, uh, you know, I think, you know, the, you know, you can't admit that you're handicapping and maybe it was an accident, but I think you just want to make it out. You know, you take the team that you think has the least chance to be there. Um, you know, little things like that. I mean, 4th of July in North Carolina, maybe they're, I think they've done that before. So maybe they're, they're starting to build on something there. Um yeah, I mean, you know what? It's a schedule. It's not perfect. <laughs> it's and you, the and schedule. You, never, you know, you never know. There's all, you know what? There's a, there's a good day in there somewhere, and I don't have it. Let me see if I can find it. There's a Saturday somewhere that I think there are two games. I think it's maybe a Rain Storms game and then a Courage Red Stars game or something like that. If you can talk for about 10 seconds, I can find this. Well, back to your point about – Portland, North Carolina, having the first midweek game. One of my counter thoughts to that was that, you know, if any if any game can draw a midweek crowd, it is that one. You know, we we have seen them uh, in previous seasons have have pretty decent midweek. I think didn't, didn't they have like two midweek dates last year? No, no, two were on I weekend. One was the six nothing game was in the middle of the that week. That was right? yeah, that was middle of the week. Um, and, and the year, again, bef- you know, the year I before, also- I know they had a middle of the week one. I also want there to be a um, well midweek in April though is a lot different than midweek in July August midweek during the school year and when it's still kind of chilly is tough. Um, but hey, put those games. You know, I'm, I've been pushing for a midweek game of the month on yeah. TV. I don't think we're going to get this year. August 29th, you got Rain and Thorns as a day game. Courage Red Stars as a night game. So you know, who knows what the Rain Thorns is one of those games where it doesn't matter. If the teams are both winless and in last place, it's going to be still somewhat mm-hmm. interesting. You know, and all your stars, all your national re- teamos will will be back because right uh, the the gold medal match is August seventh, so they'll be well exactly. back by then. Yeah, right. So that's a re- you know that's a, if you're if you're going to circle a day, that's one that's that's one to circle. All right. Well, let's take a quick break, Dan, and then we'll come back and we will talk about a lot more women's soccer because we just can't help ourselves. Time for a little gensplaining. Today's topic, roster numbers for She Believes. This is a similar explanation to the one I gave a few weeks back for roster numbers for CONCACAF Olympic qualifying. 
So now we have the 23-player USA roster for She Believes, as well as the jersey numbers assigned to each player. If you haven't seen them, you can check on the Wikipedia page for the tournament or ussoccer.com. I know some fans wondered why Lynn Williams wore number 13 during Olympic qualifying and why Kristen Press wasn't in her usual number 23. Well, the way it works, official tournaments require a set range of jersey numbers. Olympic qualifying, the rosters were 20 players, so players had to wear number 1 through 20, with number 1 being reserved for a goalkeeper. Similarly, she believes rosters feature 23 players, so the numbers used are 1 to 23. This means that Kristen Press can wear her preferred number. It also means that number 13 has to be used. It can't be left unused just because Alex Morgan is not in the tournament. So once again, Lynn Williams will wear number 13. If you look at the jersey numbers for the other players who are not on the USA's World Cup team, you see them assigned to the available numbers, basically the numbers uh, for players who were on the World Cup team and aren't on this roster. So Andy Sullivan takes Morgan Bryant's number six. Casey Short takes Allie Long's number 20. Jessica McDonald is back in jersey number 22, which is what she wore in the Women's World Cup since 22 is now available to use. And Emily Sonnet moves back into 14 since Mallory Pugh is back on the roster and reclaims her number two jersey. A lot of shifting numbers, but it's really all about seniority. Got a question for the Gensplainer? Email me anytime, keeper at keepernotes.com. All right, and we're back, Jen Cooper and Dan LaLetta, who we're so old that we completely forgot to talk about the new NWSL commissioner in the first segment. Dan, I'm so glad that we scheduled the call when we did, because right when you came on, you're like, hey, there's a new commissioner. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and uh, because of that scheduling, uh, I don't know too much about her, to be honest. Um, Lisa Baird is her name. Um, I believe she worked a little bit for the NFL, did some stuff with U.S. soccer. And looks like is going to be more of a business leader than the standard commissioner that I think we were all looking for. But that is really just based on reading uh, like two or three quotes that she gave to Grant Wall from Sports Illustrated. So um, I think it's a really positive development that there is a commissioner that is at least named, if not starting in the role before preseason. And, you know, let's uh, let's go onward and upward. But unfortunately, I didn't have time to really flesh out a lot of information about her. Well, our, our friend Howard Megdal has a great line about her in his article on, on Forbes. He said that uh, she was until recently the CMO at YNYC, which is the public radio affiliate of NPR in New York. And so he said she's traded Dolly Parton's America for Megan Rapinoe's America. There you go. Megan Rapinoe's <laughs> America rules the world right now, I believe. And she's she had a decade on the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee. Um, so clearly, right, I that's think that's how she, she worked with U.S. Soccer. I think for yeah. the U.S. Olympic Committee. Yeah. So so she's got experience of like, okay, how do I work with governing bodies, kind of thing. Definitely some some marketing background. I mean, bottom line, this is kind of like the schedule, right? We're like we're just happy we have one. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And I know, you know, people maybe were looking for a splashy name, but I'm a firm believer that you make yourself a splashy name by doing a good job. You know, was Don Garber a splashy name? No, but he's one of the best commissioners in the history of sports. 
I think, in North America. Well, in industry insiders, anybody working in working in sport at that level might they might consider that a name where to the right. public it's it's not a, a splashy name i had someone ask me they're like oh so is julie fowdy going to be the commissioner you know after they saw the tweet from nwsl last week and i was like that doesn't make sense she doesn't have a background you know running these things she also seems like she has way too good a life right now <laughs> to want to become the commissioner of the nwsl i mean why would you trade in being julie fowdy to become the nwsl commissioner I mean, I could totally see her as an ambassador or taking on certain roles, but it's like, yeah, you don't want to do that to her. You you want someone who's already been in the trenches for a couple of decades doing this kind of work f- for real. Um, so, so excited that, you know, we finally have a name. Um, you know, Amanda Duffy left, what, February 15th to go work for Orlando. Us. Yeah, so um, it, it looks like, it looks like Lisa Baird starts March 10th, right? Basically the same time that the preseason starts. So at long last, a commissioner who actually is commissioner in name um, and has a serious resume, um, you know, Jeff Plush going back a, a few seasons, I, I'd say he had a pretty solid resume, right? Yeah, it, uh, it was definitely named commissioner. Resume. Yeah. And, you know, the one huge thing he did was pretty huge, you know, uh, that that A&E deal, uh, which brought us an actual working website as much as you still like to complain about it. Um, oh, come and on. Just... My complaints are legitimate about this. <laughs> but I wouldn't want to go back to yeah. seasons one, two, three, four. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So it's it's like ushered in, you know, like like the next level, um, you know, and uh, and as frustrated as we've all been with, you know, Amanda Duffy the last few years, like there's part of me that has a lot of empathy for her where it's like, I think she was just kind of pushing that position to just be a stopgap, right? You know, and, and well, I'm, sure, it's a, I'm sure she knew if she left, they, she wouldn't be replaced, you know, just like... a two-sided job though, right? You've got to do the job, but it's also a public relations job. So you've got to yes. do the job, but you also have to be an effective communicator slash salesman for your league you know and i've probably said this multiple times on your show but when i see don garber speak it gets me excited about major league soccer i never got that from jeff plush although he was more willing to speak than amanda duffy but i never came away from an amanda duffy conversation saying yes we got it when Garber talks, I get that feeling that things are going in the right direction. They might not be, but that's part of his job is to make you think it. Yeah, you need you need that person that makes you want to drink the Kool-Aid, but also gives you the assurance that the Kool-Aid isn't spiked. Right. And if you can't do it, then you've got to find someone to do it on your behalf. Yeah. And and a lot of a lot of sports teams, they do have someone who's the business side and someone who's the face of the franchise side. And that's, you know, that's 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 really how that can work. So who knows? We might see um, more hirings. I mean, I would assume we'll we'll see several more hirings because it has been a pretty bare boned, uh, you know, front office, um, you know, league office uh, for for the last several months. But it's but it's it's nice. It hurts both doing the job and promoting yourself but it, it, it's so nice just like we were saying about about the schedule it's like ah oh, okay check that off the list you know it's like good we got the schedule you know we got the commissioner okay tv deal <laughs> question mark yeah let's get that let's get that next 
And you know what? There is going to be a TV deal. There is going to be a game on, we think, opening weekend. You figure the new commissioner will be at that game. Four-minute hit, if that, maybe two minutes on ha- at halftime could go such a long way toward making people think the league is heading in the right direction. Yeah. Right? This is what we're working on. We're excited about this. We're excited about that. And you move on <laughs> rather than never seeing a, a league face. Well, and especially it's, it's, it's hard to think about how, okay, so gold medal match is August 7th. So we're just five months away from the Olympics being over. Right. Yep. And then, then you have a pretty long stretch of lot, not a lot of high profile international, you know, mainstream sporting events that catch people's attention. So all the work that she does now, uh, you know, especially this first year is, is going to be what carries NWSL through 2021 and 2022. Well, and to me, those are the key years because I know everyone focuses on the world cup and to a lesser extent, the Olympics and how that can boost attendance and notoriety. But I feel like you need to ride that into the two years in the cycle where you're not being interrupted by your best players not being there. You know, you're, we're, you know after this year, and there's, you know, there's going to be times this season where we're going to be rolling our eyes at some of the, you know, starting 11s and rosters that are going to be run out because so many of the best players will be in Japan. But it's all, you know, two, the next two seasons need to be taken advantage of better than 13 and 14, uh, sorry, 17 and 18 before this, these last two. You know, and I think that's the key is to none, you know, you got the Olympics and you're right. There's not a lot after that, but build on that so that when these players are in markets for the NWSL, you're not just waiting for them to go to the 2023 World Cup. You're actually capitalizing on what happened. Yeah, and, and that it's, you, you can never build a league based on a big event that happens once every four years, right? Like, right. You I, can it, use it, it, but you can't build around. Yeah, like it always makes me laugh. It's like, oh, you know, if we don't win the World Cup, you know, this league is doomed. It's like, wait a minute, that's your business plan? Exactly. Is once once every four years, the U.S. women have to win the World Cup. It's like that's now it a might be that, plan. Now it might be that the league was headed in one direction and then they won the World Cup, and voila. It's you know kind of like Beckham coming, like the league was floating along, and then Beckham came. And but you you know if you're building your league on one person coming to it, that's also a problem. So yeah, you can't because eventually the U.S. is not going to win the World Cup, right? More I'd say more likely than not. Next yeah, World Cup. I mean statistically, yeah, yeah. So you 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 have to plan, and also four years apart. Even even if they did have the power to win every four years still that's that's a pretty long gap so it's it's got to be the you know creating a local identity and building local relationships and you know what else can be done to boost expansion right because the the larger footprint the league has the more people casually end up knowing about the league right it's it's pretty hard when you only have nine franchises to really get a big uh, national footprint right Yep, that is true. So, so let's talk about um, moving on from commissioner. Um, you know, some news that Equalizer broke this week. Uh, sounds like one of the national team starters, Becky Sabrin, is making a move to the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, it looks like Sabrin will be traded to the Portland Thorns 
and it appears that there will be a player heading back to Utah and a bunch of allocation money. And this fascinates on many levels because, I mean, Sauerbrunn is, you know, probably not quite the player she was at the 2015 World Cup, but she's still really, really good. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I know that her boyfriend lives in the Portland area and that she wanted to be there even when FC Kansas City folded. There was a chance she was going to go there and the Royals kind of convinced her to give it a shot in Utah. Um, um, You know, it's it's hard to say without knowing the full extent of the deal or what the Royals are going to do with the allocation money. The Royals have had a really weird offseason. Um, you know, it's not a great look when a team like the Thorns can just move a secondary player and some money and bring in Becky Sauerbrunn. And it, I don't know, the Royals, it, this trade to me makes it makes them seem more Dash and Pride-like. I know you don't like when I say bad things about the Dash. <laughs> but it makes them seem more Dash and Pride-like than Thorns like, you know, like everyone's, oh, you got to have MLS owners as your ownership group. Well, then why are the Royals bleeding players? And, you know, why are the Dash and Pride not drawing like they were early on or like we think they should be? You know, it's it's weird to have a player like that go from a team like Utah, which is supposedly one of the flagship franchises, to Portland, which clearly is a flagship franchise, but not a whole ton coming back. Um, you know, we'll see when we get the final details of the trade. You know, I mean, look, she's also 34. Who knows how much longer she's going to even play? Right. But, you know, this is this is an this is an odd one for me. Well, it 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 made more sense to me uh, the more I read about it from what what you guys posted. That I, I guess it it made more sense once I heard that with Kansas City folding, that apparently she had asked to move to Portland then because she and her boyfriend had have had an apartment there for, for a while, um, but was convinced to give Utah, you know, a, a chance. Um, and I, and I think she's had two, two good years at Utah, but I think it does make sense with a new coach coming in and, and Utah, you know, has, has said like, Hey, we're aware that a lot of our starters are are 30 plus, right. That they have to be looking long-term, you know, they know this year is going to be difficult when you've got your national teamers missing uh, for at least eight, nine games, you know, and she would be one of those. So maybe, maybe you're gaining another starter who is available, you know, the entire time. Um, It does seem weird to me that, we, we've seen a lot of retirements out of a lot of younger retirements out of, out of Utah. But right now I just want to think that maybe that's, uh, you know, it, it's like a new, you know, a new style, a new, new leadership group is, is, is coming into play. Right. Like, it, it, like, you know, I think about, um, you know, anytime a, a new coach has come into an individual franchise, you do, you do see a lot of player movement. That's true. The flip side of that, though, is they won nine games each of the two seasons they've been in Utah, fairly close to the playoffs in both seasons. The Red Stars lost Sam Kerr. That's what, 18 goals she had out the right. door. The Rain um, have an interesting mix, but I think they're going to struggle without Zlatko Andonovsky. The door's wide open for you to waltz into the playoffs in 2020 if you could have gotten a little better. But what have they done so far? They traded Doniak, didn't get any players back. They traded Stengel, didn't get any players back. 
They sent money to Chicago. Um, was it Chicago for the eighth pick mm-hmm. in the draft? Now they're trading Sauerbrunn and maybe getting a player back. But let's face it, you know, we're pretty sure the player's not Mengus. Right. But whoever it is is not going to be as good as Sauerbrunn. It almost seems like, and I agree with you, it's not like, it's not totally crazy to think that trading Becky Sauerbrunn could be the right thing to do. But with what, you know, to what end? What What's the end game here? What is... What's the grand plan? And I'm a, I'm big on, look, you don't judge these trades and these moves until you see the final product. But I can't find any evidence that the Royals are going to be any better this season when it wouldn't have taken much, possibly even staying the same, could have gotten them into the playoffs where they haven't been yet. So it, you know, it strikes me. Now, again, you know, a player like that says they want to go. You know, you don't necessarily always have – so much of a choice that you know you've got to pull the trigger but it's uh and it's not the first time you know morgan went to orlando mostly because her husband was playing there larue has followed dom dwyer to kansas city and then to orlando and kristen and press her... chose not to come to houston because exactly she wanted to be and, elsewhere. When, and when dwyer uh when larue went to western new york was that better or worse than press who just didn't show up that she went there and told anybody who would listen that she didn't want to be there so, you know, it's it's interesting because we talk about how the players don't have any leverage, but there are players that do have an awful lot of leverage. Yeah. But I don't know. It, you know, I, I want to see what Utah's going to do, but it's hard to see them not going backwards. Well, and, and I wonder if they're making a shift to the, okay, maybe we got to play the long game um, as maybe. opposed to um, – and that's that's another one of the the pleasures of having a league this old, right? Is that you can start going, okay, well, I don't see a way for us to be a contender immediately, but I can put these pieces in place, right? Especially when you know that there's expansion happening, uh, you know, for 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 2021. It definitely seemed like the Utah Royals of the last two seasons was the Utah that wanted to win immediately, right? Like right. press. Vero, you know, it's like, yes, we can win immediately and kind of the renaissance of Amy Rodriguez, but just like not all the pieces are there. So close both seasons, right? Um, But maybe with a new coach coming in, it's like, hey, we have to we have to play the long game, you know, and and I wouldn't quite put them in the position of of Orlando and Houston who are like just a year removed from that. Right. Like I I feel like we should judge James Clarkson and Mark Skinner so much more by year two than year one. Right. Where they've, they've, you know, they've had the time to really build a team. That's their team, build a culture, you know, build build their style. But but if you step back and forget about requests and who wants to do what, wouldn't the players that you would trade more likely be Press and Barnhart? Because you've got Abby Smith as a younger goalkeeper. And I, and I, don't, I don't think there's a big market for Barnhart because I don't know that anybody really needs a goalkeeper. Right. You know, but Press is going to be gone for the World Cup. Salabrun keeps your defense together. Now, who, what's their back line now? Because Miramonte is retired. Moros is gone. Uh, you know, it's Kelly O'Hara, who has barely been healthy at the club level for a long time and is an outside back. Who, who are your center backs now? In Utah, Corsi and Gabby I, I Vincent. Gabby Vincent. So, I mean, I think just purely soccer. If you're telling me you're going to play the long game, I would think Press and Barnhart would be at the front of your trading blocks. 
just because you don't want to play the long game and just tear yourself apart. And even Amy Rodriguez, but the difference is that Rodriguez is actually going to be there for the season where press isn't. Right, right. Different year, I might say, keep press and try to trade Amy Rodriguez. Well, I don't see a lot of value in trading a keeper, especially where I would think if I'm Barnhart, I'm like, no, I'm not going to move anymore. <laughs> no, to- totally yeah. fair. And I don't think anybody wants her, but you could de- you could you could waiver and say we're using Abby, you know, long game. We're going to yeah. get Abby Smith some minutes and and find somebody cheaper to to back up. And then I also see this the Sauerbrunn move as well. Clearly, they're going to sign an international player. We know that that. Utah has been aggressive about signing international players. Clearly they want to go after an international player. And I would think that would be a defender. And I think they might be getting one at some point, but again, do you want, I mean, Sauerbrunn is free, right? But you want you're replacing her with an international player. That's going to take allocation money in all likelihood. Right. But don't you get allocation money or, or isn't that, that, that what you think is going to be part of the trade is that they'll get allocation money. Well, that's true, but at the From same Portland. time, Portland is supposedly bringing in an international too. So, how much money can they actually give up? Hmm. Yeah. Now, there's speculation that there's more money coming as long as Sauerbrunn keeps playing down the road, but who knows how long that is? Yeah. And who knows yeah. if she knows, or if she, or if she does know, you know, whether she's willing to share that with anybody. <laughs> Well, and, and that leads me to, you know, we finally got the list. Uh, you know, one of the other things to right. check off is the list. By the of, way, one, let, let me just throw this out ahead. there. Let's say Sauerbrunn keeps playing but gets pregnant and misses next season in its entirety. Does, does Utah get money for that season? Oh, you mean allocation money from Portland? Right. Like if the deal is that they keep getting money as long as Sauerbrunn's in the league. Oh, and interesting. she gets pregnant and misses a whole season. Do they still get money for that? The plot thickens. I don't know. But one of the other things we can check off our list of things we finally have is the list of Federation players for 2020. We got the U.S. list and the Canada list. Canada list didn't change at all. couple of changes on the, the U.S. list. And, and that does factor into this stuff because one of the things that I've, I've never seen this covered publicly, but when players are no longer a federation player their new club their their club has to offer them a contract that's worth x percentage of the former contract and we never right. hear anything about that right I, I know that was something that dash had negotiate with jane campbell last year when she was coming off an allocation year and and that's got to be true for zerboni right so she's the only player to yep. lose her allocation status uh, you know is that North Carolina's problem before they traded or is that Sky Blue's problem now? You know, who knows? Well, you know, the list was done, I think, in December. Right. Which might explain some of the inconsistencies, you know, with what the roster has been. Right. And what the allocation list the is. US so that's list a good was done question. In did the did the business of that get done in December? In which case it would have been North Carolina's problem, or did the business get done now that it was announced? In which case it would be Sky Blue's problem. I mean, either way, Sky Blue is paying the contract, so it works right. out the same financially. But uh, yeah, you you would assume that Sky Blue knew when they were getting her that she was not going to be an allocated player, and that her contract was equal to whatever had right. been um, negotiated. Uh, two new players getting allocation: um, Tiana Davidson and I'm blanking. 
is it Allie Krieger came back? Oh, and Allie Krieger came back. Yeah, that's why I was like, it's not a new new. It's a back on back on the list. Yeah, and Davidson, in all honesty, probably should have been, um, you know, an allocated player last year. The the most interesting name to me, honestly, Diana Matheson. Like, are we going to be in in like twenty fifty? Diana Matheson (laughs) still gets allocated. I mean, she's been allocated every year by Canada. (laughs) <laughs> she has barely played now for what two years if not more than that yeah and i'm a big fan i love to watch her play well, well she, Utah, she, by the she way, didn't play know, at all in forward. 2019 she didn't play at all in 2017 she did play in 2018 okay um but i was surprised to see she was named to canada's roster for the upcoming tournoi de france um so i'm like okay Maybe she's healthy again. So, and, and I think it's worth noting. This is another thing I've I've learned recently that the Canadian allocations <clears throat> are a little bit different than the the U.S. ones. Canadian players they still have a contract with the NWSL, and Canada pays the salary as opposed to the U.S. women's national team players. Their contract is with U.S. Soccer. See, and I originally thought originally meaning back in 2012 when we learned about this, that it would be the way Canada's doing it, that U.S. soccer would just be footing the bill right, for some players. And I wonder if the next, if there'll be an intermediate step as we try to break free of the relationship where that is how it goes, where it's not even player specific, but maybe U.S. soccer just gives, gives teams some money to use toward contracts and pushes their players toward playing in the league. You know, and we see what happens. But I mean, isn't the allocation list more anticlimactic than the schedule? Well, especially this late, right? That if 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 these are actually done in December, you know, uh, yeah, it's it, it it's strange. But it is nice to like, okay, that's known because like the rosters I do online, I just have to put a question mark of, okay, last year this was their federation status, right. you know. And I think it was also interesting to learn. Um, from the article on Equalizer, I didn't know that there's a difference between. So there's players who have U.S. soccer contracts; they're contracted to the national team, you know. So they get national team pay, and then they get their NWSL pay. There are also players who their NWSL salary is paid for by the national team, but that does not mean they're necessarily a contracted U.S. national teamer. Right? Yeah, they're. They're two different lists. Yeah. So there there have to be, a, what is it, minimum 17 contracts uh, per the CBA. And there's, right. no, there's no limit to how many NWSL players that could have their salary paid by U.S. soccer, correct? Now, I've, now I've got two questions for you. You sent me okay. a text when the list came out and said they actually increased the number of allocated players. Do we think that's just that they replaced Morgan, even though she still gets the contract? Uh, I mean, she's probably going to play this year in the league, but right. that's why they got the extra one. No, I, I, I think that that may be like not another contract to me. That's not another contracted player. That's just like, uh, here's another person we're willing to pay their salary for uh, because it looks like Vlatko will use them a lot. All right now, how about here's another one for you. If you if we had like a hard knock sort of thing, where you could be in the room and Vlatko talks to players on the national team, and you could only get one player, would you want Casey Short, where he you know the conversation goes something like, "We know you're the best outside back in the league, but sorry, you're 
we're going to keep bringing you into camp, but you're never making the, the roster for a big tournament? Or would it be Jane Campbell? Or it would be like, hey, thanks for coming in in case one of the other keepers gets hurt, but there's really no chance you're ever going to play. Are you asking me which player I'd want to be? No, which conversation would you more want to eavesdrop on when that player talks to the coaching staff? I would definitely want to eavesdrop on the the field player conversation because there there's so much more nuance with that, right? Like the the goalkeeper conversation, goalkeepers know, right? Like, you know, you're, you're not going to sub in for 10 minutes, right? That like, you, you right. might have to wait longer to get your shot. You might have to just, you know, wait for a retirement. And also goalkeeper careers tend to be longer. I, th- yes. I think the field, the field player discussion is so much more interesting. I agree. And I also think short is more interesting because I actually think short is better than players that are on the team. And I don't feel that way about Jane Campbell. Well, and and I think, um, well, Casey's more experienced too. So, right. So like we've seen, we've seen what she can do. You know, um, I feel like, you know, Jane's got a couple more steps to take and then she could really challenge, you know, for those spots. Right. Like, you know, there's potential in Jane, right? We've seen, we've seen, Casey Short do her magic. So it's it's a shame if there's not a way that she can be incorporated or given the opportunity to to grow, right? Like I I don't think a player that good should be pigeonholed of you can only you can only do this thing but we need you to do 10 things. It's like, well, has someone asked her to do those 10 things? Yeah, that's good. It's a good point. But I mean, she yeah. continues to be baffling. I think to me she's the number one player that I want to watch and she believes because you know, I'm still confused. As And I get that Emily Sonnet, you know, can also play center back and maybe in the defensive midfield. And at the moment, like you said, Short can't or doesn't do those things. But um, I, to me, she's the when she's in, in the she believes, she's the player I want to watch most. Well, and, and we also have to remember th- the difference between the World Cup and the Olympics. So World Cup, seven-game tournament, four or five days between games with a 23-player roster. Olympics, six-game tournament, but games every three days with likely travel in between and only an 18-player roster. Right. That's why um, someone like Kelly O'Hara is a given to be on any roster when she's healthy because of how many right. different things she can do. And honestly probably crystal done also even though she right. doesn't do as many things she's capable right and that's why that's why to me if if casey short doesn't make the olympic roster that won't be as big of a shock to me as her not making the world cup roster was i definitely agree with that i definitely oh. agree but i still feel like in the league she is head and shoulders better than emily sonnet as an outside back oh totally agree Totally now, agree. There's more, there's more reasons than just that. And, you know, we didn't know, you know, there hasn't been a league game played since Vlatko was officially named the head coach. So you don't know what happens in camp. And there well, is a versatility factor. And and unlike last year, there will actually be time for league play April and May, really, maybe maybe. Well, probably not June, April and May before the June FIFA break for Vlatko to see players and judge players and make some final decisions where this past year, Jill basically set the roster before the league had a chance to start because the World Cup started so early. So 
we're in agreement on all these things, Dan. So I think that's a good sign that we should probably end it because normally we're not in agreement this much. But Dan, thanks as always for taking the time to uh, share your highlights and your lowlights of women's soccer with us. You got it. All right, time to wrap it up at the back four. First and foremost, the entire NWSL regular season schedule is now available. It's on nwslsoccer.com. It's on the NWSL app, which is available for iPhones and Androids. You should definitely download it. And it's on the Google Calendar that I have linked at keepernotes.com. Just go to Woso Nerd Links. Hopefully, we'll get more TV information soon as well. And since the 2020 season will be here before you know it, you better order your copy of the latest Keeper Notes NWSL Almanac now. This 350-page comprehensive guide to the first seven seasons of the league features a complete player and coach registry, stats by season, all-time player and team records, attendance averages, color photos, and lots more. You cannot get all of this information in one place anywhere else, so just go to KeeperNotes.com to order. You can order in print, PDF, or both. And the fifth edition of the She Believes Tournament kicks off next week. All games are doubleheaders, or rather all match days are doubleheaders, and all games, including the non-USA games, are showing on an ESPN outlet live. So check out ussoccer.com for details. The U.S. women kick off the tournament in Orlando on March 5th against England. Then they'll be in Harrison, New Jersey at Red Bull Arena, uh, playing Spain on March 8th, and then wrap up the tournament in Frisco, Texas, north of Dallas, on March 11th against Japan. The final roster was named this week, and you can check out rosters for all four teams on the tournament's Wikipedia page. And coming up in the same time frame as she believes, we've got the final round of Asian Olympic qualifying and final round of African qualifying for the Olympics. There are just four spots left up for grabs, and three of them will be set by March 11th. In Asian qualifying, Thailand and Australia will play a home and away series to decide one Olympic berth, and China and South Korea will compete for the other. Cameroon and Zambia will play a two-game series to decide the African berth. And then the loser of that African matchup will then go on to face Chile in April to determine the final team for the Women's Olympic Soccer Tournament. The 12 teams will be drawn into three groups of four on April 20th. All right, that's it for this episode of the Mixed Zone Women's Soccer Podcast. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to everyone who refers others to listen to this podcast. Thanks, of course, to our sponsors, Roughneck Scarves, the official scarf supplier to MLS, USL, and US Soccer. And also to IcarusFC.com, best place to go if you want to get new, non-template, non-cookie-cutter uniforms for your youth club or your league team or your adult uh, indoor team. Check out IcarusFC.com. And as always, many thanks to Sean for putting this podcast together. But now she's everybody's good.